Well, welcome everyone. Glad that you are here. Annabella, that was fantastic. You know, I turned to Quintessa, I said, are there supposed to be words on the screen that she can read? She goes, I don't know. And she didn't even need them. That was magnificent. I hope you'll always use your gifts for the church. It's just wonderful. And uh, I want to say just thanks to her. Thanks to all of you who made VBS possible this week. I mean, this place was popping all week long. And it could not have happened without the folks who took the time to serve these kids in the the community. So anyway, I do want to uh, kind of catch those of you who might be up. My name is Shane, if you're visiting with us. And I need to catch you up on where we are. We are in the middle, almost to the end, of this sermon series that we've been doing. Uh, we've been calling it the, the Essential Questions that John Wesley, who was the founder of the Methodist faith, John Wesley, the Essential Questions that John Wesley wanted all the Methodists to ask themselves on a really regular basis. We need to check where we are in our relationship with God. All the great Christians, they always examined themselves. Now, he wrote 22 questions. We do not have 22 sermons. We have talked about three of them at least so far. Uh, the first one was, uh, you got to ask yourself this, is Jesus real to me? Is it real? Right? She said yes. All right. Connor, we know he's real to you. All right. The second one, the second week, it was, am I pretending to be better than I really am? Like, in other words, am I a hypocrite? Connor, you're not a hypocrite, are you? No. No. Then last week, it was a short one, but we should ask ourselves, am I proud In other words, do I have some pride going on in my life? God is a lover of humility. And so this week, uh, we're going to come to, uh, really it's two questions uh, Wesley wanted us to ask ourselves, but it's about the same thing. Two questions. The first part of it is, did the Bible live in me today? And then the second part of it, do I give the Bible, do I allow the Bible time enough to speak to me every day? Do I give the Bible time to speak to me every day. So uh, unlike Annabella, I'm actually going to need the words on the screen here. I've got my personal Bible. I won't read from that. It's a different translation, and I will explain why in just a moment. So I'm going to invite you to stand as you are able for the reading of our uh, scripture. This is going to be taken from Psalm 119, and the whole of Psalm 119 is just a praise to the Word of God. Here's what the psalmist writes. The Lord exists forever. Your Word is firmly fixed in heaven. Your faithfulness endures to all generations. You have established the earth, and it stands fast. By your appointment, they stand today, for all things are your servants. If your law had not been my, what? Delight. The law, my delight. I would have perished in my misery. I will never forget your precepts, for by them you have given me, what? Life. I am yours. Save me. For I have sought your precepts. The wicked lie in wait to destroy me, but I consider your decrees. I have seen a limit to all perfection, but your commandment is exceedingly broad. Oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all day long. Your commandment makes me wiser than my enemies, for it is always with me. I have more understanding than all my teachers, for your decrees are my meditation. I understand more than the aged, for I keep your precepts. I hold back my feet from every evil way in order to keep your word. I do not turn away from your ordinances, for you have taught me. 
How sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. Does this sound like somebody who thinks of the Word of God as a burden? No. Through your precepts I get understanding, therefore I hate every false way. Your Word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. This is the Word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Okay, so uh, go with me. I'm going to back in my life a little ways. Uh, I, I remember the first time I bought this Bible right here. This is my personal Bible. It's been with me for a little over 20 years now. And I remember I was a brand new kind of committed Christian, newly committed Christian. And I remember Billy Graham said it in his sermon, you must buy a Bible. And everybody kept saying this, you know, buy a Bible, buy a Bible, go buy a Bible. So I went and bought a Bible. I think it was at Borders, which is closed now, isn't it? Anyway, I remember going into the store, and there was like all these Bibles. I just went in for a Bible. I did not know what to pick. All kinds of translations. There were different kinds of study Bibles. And I remember this one was outside of its case. And, and I picked this one up, and I, and I opened it up, and I loved the way the font looked. I like that old school look. And, and I like the way the, the pages felt, you know, the way they sounded. You hear that? I was like, that sounds good. Yeah. And it was a King James version of the Bible. Which, as you know, Jesus wrote this. See, they didn't laugh at 8.30. So anyway, I was a little afraid of the King James, but I'm like, oh, I like everything about this Bible. So I, I bought it. Can't remember how much it cost. Went home, and then uh, I remember sitting it on my coffee table there in the, in the living room. And there it sat for a couple days. I had to work. It was my day off. And I remember about two days, three days after I bought my Bible, I did something which for me was really radical. I like picked it up. And then I opened it. And I started reading it every day. I didn't start with Leviticus. All right, I started with the Gospels, but I read it every day. And I'm going to tell you something. Something happened inside of me. Something happened to me. I caught fire. And I can remember there came a point where I, I thought to myself, you know, I don't want to do anything but read this. That's the only thing I want to do is just study this word. And, you know, long story short, here I am today as a pastor in the United Methodist Church. This book right here called me into full-time ministry. Or maybe I should put it this way. The God I encountered in this book called me into ministry. It happened because I did this. I talked to Pastor Kyle this week. We were sharing stories. He will tell you the same thing. He was a lay person here at Harrison United Methodist Church. He wasn't even a clergy, but one day, guess what he did? He opened the book. And now he is a pastor. So it's a risk to open the book is what I'm saying. <laughs> there are lay people here. I know you're here. That you got involved in a Bible study. Maybe it was disciple Bible study. Maybe it was just on your own. One day, though, you opened the book and something happened to you. You were changed, you were transformed, next thing you knew, you were doing something you never thought you would do before. Maybe you're going to Haiti, maybe you're going somewhere else, maybe it's locally, but it all happened because you opened this book and it changed your life. There is something that does happen to you if you open the book. I mean, the words of these pages just will come to life. This, this, this book is just white hot with the Holy Spirit. It's white hot. You will catch on fire. I think that's why John Wesley wants us to ask over and over again, did the Bible live in you today? Did it live in you yesterday? Did it live in you last week? And then the other, other part of the question is, do I give it time? Do I give the Bible time to speak to me 
every day. Now, um, I got I to gotta admit right off the front, right on the front end here, that uh, this is not going to really be a sermon. Um, it's, it's just, this is going to sound different. I really just wanted to kind of come across as a word of encouragement. Now, some of you, you are biblical scholars, man. You, you just know this stuff. Some of you just don't. So I'm speaking to those of you who've never opened the book before. What I would want to say to some people like this, I do not want to come across today as a nag. You know what I mean? A finger-waving nag. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You need to read your Bible. Have y'all read your Bible? You need to read your Bible, young man. You know, I can't, well, the sermons can come across that way. No, I don't want to come across as a nag, you know, because, I mean, truthfully, is God going to love you anymore if you read this? No. Is this going to save you? No. Jesus has done that. But I do want you to start thinking about coming to this book and opening it the way you might kiss your significant other, your spouse, or the way you might hug your children. You don't look at that as, oh, i got to do that, another task on top of everything else. You don't do it that way. You actually look forward to it. That's why I read the portions of this scripture over here, right? I mean, the guy says, your, your word is my delight. Man, how sweet are your words? Sweeter than honey. This is not someone who was like, well, I guess I better read the Bible in piety. No, no, I want you to think of it like this. Most of us don't approach it with delight, like we would kiss our spouse. We approach it with kind of this fear or intimidation. That's how I was. You know, some of us think the Bible's like a magic eight ball. You ask it a question, and then you shake it around, and then you open it, and there's your answer. What does this one say? Therefore, take unto you now seven bulls and seven rams. And go to my sermon. Yes, Lord, thank you. Or we will think that uh, this is just a bunch of predictions about the future. And it's really wicked and scary stuff. Uh, And and really the Bible is none of these things. It really isn't. In seminary, I love the analogy someone uh, someone gave me is that the the Bible, think of it as a library. That's what it is. I called it open the book, but it's really not a book. It's a book of books. That's what the Bible means. It's really a library of various books, various genres, written by various people over a very long period of time. You got history books in here. You got law books in here. They're the dry ones. You got letters in here. You got biographies in here. If you, if you start with, some of you know this, if you start with Genesis 1 and think you're going to read this cover to cover, you will make it to maybe Exodus 4. It's hard. It's not meant to be read like that. It's a whole bunch of books on a shelf. And I've really never really bought into this this idea. Sometimes pastors will say this, that the the Bible is your guidebook for living. It is your rule book for living. As though if you open the Bible, you're going to know exactly what to do for that day. Well, really? Yeah, it guides. There are rules in there. Sure. But most of the time, it's not very clear. (laughs) You just got to keep reading it and reading it and reading it and reading it. I mean... You know, so, so what we believe about the Bible in the Methodist church is that, you know, it's a library of, of various books. But what sets these books apart from all the other books ever written is that we believe that God inspired the words of this book. That God moved some people, real people. We do not believe that God dictated word for word everything you find in here. That's what they believe in uh, Islam, that God dictated it. We don't believe that. We've never believed that. God actually used human words. But through them... Through human words, God can use these words to speak to us. And we can look at how God acted in the past so we can get an idea of maybe how God and how God will work in the present for us. So the whole point of all of these books is God. The point of the Bible is God. 
It's not necessarily history. It's not necessarily science. The whole point of the Bible is God. How do we find God presented in here? And this is a real personal encounter with who God is. Martin Luther, one of the great reformers of the church, I love this analogy. Listen to this. I think this is beautiful. He said, the pages of the Bible are the swaddling clothes through which Jesus comes to us. You know what I'm talking about, the swaddling clothes? Then the Mary story, Christmas story, she wrapped him in what? Swaddling clothes. That's King James, by the way. You're welcome. That's another trivia question for you. you know, but right, the swaddling clothes. In other words, we don't worship the clothes. We don't worship the pages. We worship the Jesus who is found inside of these pages. Do you follow me? Yeah, we don't worship the page. That's the swaddling clothes. We worship the Christ who comes to us. So when we come to the Bible, we are having a real personal encounter with God, with Jesus found in it. The point, the Bible, is God. It is Christ. There was another saint. His name is St. Jerome, who said many centuries ago, he said, the ignorance of the Bible is the ignorance of God. Ignorance of the Bible, he said, is ignorance of God. And what he meant by that is that if we don't know the stories in here, we're selling ourselves short about our knowledge of God. We, we want to encounter God. Right? We don't know this. We won't know God's mind and how he works because we haven't familiarized with this. Uh, I, I teased uh, some people last week. We had a uh, wonderful fellowship meal inside this space right here. And uh, it was a great time. We had some great food, got to know some people. Uh, and we switched. It was rotating off. It was great. There came a part right after the meal where we did a little trivia contest. And the very first part of it was a Bible trivia contest. And I was at my table, and everybody was looking to me for the answers. <laughs> and, 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 then, and then there was uh, uh, Pastor Kyle was at another table. And uh, you should know that where the pastor sat, that those tables did not win the trivia contest. <laughs> I got tripped up on a question. And the question was, what is the shortest book in the Bible? For those of you who were, not, who were not here, can you guess what the shortest book in the New Testament, I should say, the shortest book of the New Testament, what is it? Anybody know? It's 2 John. And so I got dinged all night long. You didn't know 2 John? Ha, 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 ha. And then I said, I said yeah, well, do you, do you know the content of 2 John? Do you know what 2 John is actually talking about? <laughs> See, my ego got the best of me. But anyway, the reason I say that is because statistics show that the biblical illiteracy rate, especially in the United States, it's as low now as it was when Christianity first started 2,000 years ago. We're that familiar with the Bible, okay? But one of that is just trivia. See, there's one thing to have trivial knowledge. John Wesley did not ask us to think of uh, the Bible as trivia or to have just trivial knowledge of the Bible. Like, how many books are the Bible? Does anybody know, by the way, how many books are in the Bible total? 66. You'll know that next time. Okay, he did not say, the question was not, did you quote the Bible today? Did you count the number? He didn't say that. He said, did it come alive in you today? That's a whole different animal to say, did it come alive in you today? In other words, did you act it out? Like, did you read the pages of Scripture and did you try to perform them? Did you try to act them out in your life? That's coming to life inside of you. 
know, the great saints, it's the title of my sermon, great masters of scripture reading, they, they understood the Bible to be for us. It's like, it, it, it should be the lens. Like, here's my lens. I've used this analogy before. The Bible should be like the lens through which we see everything else. You know, just imagine me, I can see through the Bible here. This should be the lens. In other words, what the saints really cared about is, is what we're reading here. Is it, is it influencing our imagination? And I don't mean the imagination as pretend, make-believe like children. I'm talking about does it influence how you think about the world? Does it influence how you see the world, how you negotiate the world? I mean, here's an example. I mean, some of you had a parent or a grandparent that was uh, raised during the Great Depression. How many of you had a parent or grandparent that lived through the Great Depression? A lot of you. Now, you know, you heard stories. You know that that experience shaped their imagination for the rest of their life, right? And I don't mean that playing pretend. I'm talking about it influenced how they saw everything. You know, it, it changed how they saw the world. Different from someone who was born in maybe the 1950s or the 1960s or even later. Like, you could go poll randomly out on the street right now. You could say to just anybody, what do you think the good life really consists of? And I imagine you would have a lot of people say, well, I think the good life consists of having good job. What would you put in there? Good job, good house, uh, nice car, right? We would hear that answer. But what we don't think about is that that's actually been influenced in us. That's been shaped. Our imagination has been shaped by the advertisers, by the marketing industry to see the good life in that. Uh, I got permission from my daughter to say this. You know, when she saw Wonder Woman uh, a couple months ago, she left that movie theater and she was Wonder Woman. I mean, whatever she saw, the narrative she saw on that movie screen, man, she became that character, right? That's what we're talking about. Like the Bible, according to the saints, should be like that for us. Right? We've got to see its narrative in our own lives. So we, we imagine our, our, our imagination, how we see the world has been influenced by the stories of the Bible. And this takes time. This doesn't happen overnight. I'll give you a uh, personal example at the risk of sounding kind of self-serving, but it is an example I want to share with you about what I'm talking about. All right. I remember where I was, just like you do if you were alive, on September 11th. And uh, I was with my then um, girlfriend, Christy. She was not quite my fiance, but I remember watching the towers fall. You remember this? And I remember just how shocking this was. Well, I remember not uh, shortly after I, I watched this, there was a verse of Scripture that actually came to mind. It was like in the back of my mind, and went vroom, right to the front. And it was this passage where Jesus is talking to his disciples. And he says something like this. He says, now, do you think the tower that fell on those people and killed them, do you think those people were killed because they were greater sinners than all the other people? How many of you know what reference of Scripture I'm talking about? Some of you do, right? Do you think that those people who were killed when the towers fell, Jesus said, were greater sinners than everyone else? Then Jesus says, no, I tell you, they were not. But, he then directs his question to the disciples, unless you repent... You will perish just like them. That's kind of scary. Now, what's interesting is that I saw the towers. 
And then I thought of this scripture of Jesus, and I put it on top of each other. Now, in that moment, Jesus acknowledges the fragility of life. He's not denying that. Tragedies happen. Life is swift. It can be snuffed before we know it. But Jesus said, were those people killed when the towers fell because they were sinners? No, he says they were not killed because of that. Now, what's fascinating to me, I'm putting those two together, is that a couple days after September 11th, what were a lot of Christians saying was the reason the towers fell? Sinners! Sinners! It's not what Jesus said at all. Right? We put the two on top of each other. Am I making sense? Okay. Uh, you think about the African slaves in the United States? When they came to the United States after a period of time and hearing the Bible, they began to read their lives into the passage of Scripture. Which story in the Bible concerning slaves do you think the African slaves were reading themselves into? The Exodus story. They saw their circumstance here, but they were reading it through the story of Moses. And God's promise, I will deliver the slaves, they read their lives into it. That's what we're talking about. But that takes time. I know a, a, a pastor. I met him in seminary. And uh, he told the seminary class that every time a member of his congregation comes to him with a new idea for a ministry, or whenever a staff person has a new idea for a ministry, he always asks this question. He says to them, do you have any biblical justification for that idea? If somebody comes to him with a complaint, he says, do you have any biblical justification for your complaint? And the reason he says he does that is because sometimes churches, we can do things that we think feel good. This is right. This is good. But we do it without any biblical basis. And he always follows up, do you have any biblical justification? It has driven his people crazy. They can't stand it. But it has kind of compelled them to go deeper like they know, if I'm going to present something, I better have a story of Scripture to back it up. Because if we can back it up with Scripture, we can be pretty sure it's of God. It's of God. All right. The 8.30 service, my sermon started petering out at just this point. So, yeah, you should have seen them. So anyway, I'm about to wrap this up, but this is important. I do want to end, though, um, Get close to the end of my sermon by, by offering to you, all right, so how am I supposed to read this? <laughs> you know, if it's a book of books, if it's a library, where, where, what, what should I do? This? How, how should I even begin? For those of you who've got experience in this, I'm not necessarily talking to you. I'm talking to people who've never opened this up. There are at least four ways that the great masters of Scripture say that we should read the Bible, all right? Four ways. You can take this home with you. First way that we should read the Bible is when you come to it, you, you need to read it humbly, humbly. In other words, when you come to the Bible, you, you need to come at it like you are ready for God to speak to you, regardless of the consequences. You might be called to full-time ordained ministry, okay? But you've got to be willing for God to speak to you. You've got to come at it like Moses at the burning bush. Ooh, I'm going to take my shoes off. Right, the Lord's going to speak. I want the Lord to speak to me. Sometimes, though, we can kind of come to the Bible pridefully. That's going back to last week. We can be kind of prideful. We can think, well, I already have read all that. I've read it cover to cover. I know the contents of the Bible. You can't teach an old dog new tricks. Uh-uh. If you come to the Bible like that, that's pride. You've you got to come to the Bible like, whoa, I'm ready for the Lord to speak. I want him to speak to me through this. Or sometimes we can come too humbly. 
kind of false humility can do this. We can say, oh, Lord, I would open this Bible, but my brain's too small to understand. I'll never understand a lick of what I'm reading, so I'll just stay away. False humility. Eh. What you'll find is that when you open it up, you will actually understand more than you realize, which is either good news or bad news, depending on where you are in your life. But you will understand it, right? But you've got to come to it. Like, Lord, I, I am ready for you to speak. I, I do not have any mastery over this. I want to learn. Speak to me through the words. Okay, so read it humbly, humbly. Second way to read it. Read it personally. Personally. In other words, you want God to speak to you. Sometimes we can come to the Bible and what we're doing, here's what we do. We read this and we go, you know what? Those people really need to read this. I know, I know some people, I, we, they, they need to open their Bible and they need to read this themselves. Kind of told you about some sermons. Sometimes the preacher will preach a sermon and we think to ourselves, I'm so glad so-and-so was in the, in the sanctuary today to hear that sermon. They needed to hear that. You know? No. Preachers are notorious for doing this. I'll come to this and I'll think to myself, well, this, is, this will be great for my congregation to know. No, preacher. God's trying to talk to you. All right, so when you come at it, you want to come at it personally, okay? Two more, personally. La uh, third one, read it slowly. Do not read it like I preach. Don't be like, this is not the Charlotte Observer. You got to read it slowly. I'm serious. You know, you think about rain, you know, we know that a, a heavy downpour is not as good for the soil and the plants as what? A slow, steady rain. I love how John Wesley said, do you give the Bible time to speak to you? It takes time, folks. It really takes time, long time. You've got to read this slowly. I remember being a six-year-old boy. I finally went fishing, and my grandfather says, you're ready, the fish. And he baited my hook, and, and then I cast my first cast, fishing for bluegill. And then I, I reeled it in. And then I saw the hook and the bait on it. And there was no fish. And I had a complete and total meltdown. Ah, no fish. I'll never be able to catch any fish. And I remember my, my grandfather, it was a teachable moment. He said, Shane, you're not going to usually catch something your first cast. You've got to keep going and going and going and going. I was only ready to catch bluegill. They're about this big. If I'd have caught a big catfish, I'd have gone over the boat. So sometimes we're not ready to catch big fish. Got to start small. Got to read it slowly. Read a sentence. I know people who will take a whole week just to read a sentence. A whole week on just a sentence. That's how you read it. It gets into you. Let it sink in like a slow and steady rain. All right, the last one I'll say to you is that whenever you get a chance, try to read this communally with other people. You are not your own pope. And the problem is that when we have our own Bibles, we can kind of think, I'm, I'm the Pope. Well, I have mastery over interpretation. My interpretation is right. Then you get in touch with some other people and read a Bible with them. You realize your interpretation is not the sole authority. But that's how the Bible was written. The, the letters of the New Testament were written to churches. The Old Testament was written to a nation, to a people. And when we read the Bible with others, it becomes so much more fruitful. One of my favorite Catholic priests, he likened it to going out into a strawberry field. You, know, you can go down to Hall's Farm here, can't you? Like you can go by yourself, he said. You can pick some strawberries and you can get a lot by yourself. But if you bring others with you, man, the harvest can really be huge. Right, that's enough of me talking.
But for those of you who've never opened this book, man, come to it humbly. Come to it personally. Come to it slowly. <laughs> and read it with others. We've got opportunities for you to read with other people coming up in the fall with Disciple Bible Study. It will change your life. But man, this, this is the swaddling clothes of Jesus. And Jesus will have a personal encounter with you if you just open it and read it and say, Lord, I'm willing. Thanks be to God. Thanks for listening to this week's message. Harrison Church now offers Text to Give, a quick and easy way to tithe or donate anytime, anywhere. Text HUMC and your gift amount to 73256. For more information, you can visit us online at harrisonchurch.org.